there, everyone. My name is Alyssa Smith. I am a personal strategy coach, and I specialize in parenting. And the title of my presentation today is Parenting in a Pornified Culture, Courage for Today and Hope for Tomorrow. So glad that you guys are joining me today. And hopefully we can make our way through some really helpful understanding about porn and its effects on kids and how we can actually help as parents. So a little about me, I am a proud mom of a superhero, some of you may be able to relate, and I am a certified life coach. I specialize in personal strategy and parenting, and my passion is to help people accelerate from crisis to healing and execute their next steps to thriving. So creating a life that really gives life and brings life and makes you come alive. Um, I help parents find concrete solutions to the challenges of raising children in an emotionally detached, pornified world. So it's kind of scary if you're a parent today and you hear things about uh, you know, kids' internet use that's unsafe um, and every parent is in denial at least a little bit about what's going on with their kids on the internet. So today we're gonna dispel some myths, we're gonna look at some real reality and we're gonna try to come out of denial in order to empower our kids to make it through what's ahead. So section one, this is going to be a little bit of a downer, guys, the devastating damages of pornography. So if you don't already know some of these things, it can be kind of heavy, but hang in there. We've got hope coming, okay, at the end of this section. We've got two more sections that are going to bring us some hope. Just so that you're in touch with the reality of the effects of pornography. So Gail Dines is the president of Culture Reframed, and I would highly recommend her website. I include the website in the resources at the end of this presentation. And she says, parents have two choices in today's culture, to educate their children about healthy sex and the damage of porn, or to let the porn industry do their children's education. So I don't know about you guys, but I really want to be the one that is providing for my child the understanding that I want him to have about healthy sex, the damage of pornography, internet safety, internet healthy habits. So if you are on board with that, then you're going to get some really good help today. So the effect of pornography. So 88% of boys and 76% of girls have been exposed to porn by high school. And a lot of them, it happens even younger. It damages and stunts the brain. This is kind of an overview. It causes actual emotional trauma for them. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it creates an inability to have any emotionally intimate relationship, romantic or otherwise, because of the part of the big brain, brain that pornography affects. So the brain damage, let's focus on that first. So the frontal lobe, which is the part of the brain that is in charge of um, some of the higher functions. So emotional regulation, decision-making, cause and effect, uh, understanding in order to make good decisions. It's not fully developed in any human, the healthiest of humans, it doesn't develop until about the age of 25. If you introduce pornography into that same healthy brain, the development of this part of the brain, the cause and effect part, the part that is in charge of, you know, things like relationship and attachment, it is stunted indefinitely until we address what happened with the pornography. The confusing chemical responses that pornography evokes, particularly for children, can cause a compulsion to view it again. The brain will try to make sense of it, and so it will have a craving to re-experience it until they can make it come out right for their brain because it's just it's a wrong thing it's a damaging thing and they're going to replay it and they're going to try and make it work out better each time for their own survival response what they don't realize is that that compulsion is what actually causes all the problems in the brain 
So inappropriate neuropathways begin to bond, form, and are reinforced with multiple viewing. So the kid, the child that does get multiple uh, instances of access to pornography is going to have more uh, reinforcement of the negative neuropathways. So because of the parts of the brain that are aroused by viewing pornography, it will eventually be linked to compulsive masturbation because of the chemical process. It's, it, pornography, addiction to pornography is a process addiction. It's an addiction to the cruising behavior. It's an addiction to the, the, the oxytocin response of masturbation is connected then to all the previous actions that have taken place to get to that place. So with masturbation, that bonding hormone is released, which means the child will involuntarily bond with whatever images he or she connects to that experience, therefore sentencing them to a compulsion toward an act or an image that elicits that hormone, pornography and masturbation as sexuality instead of true relational sexuality. Children are too young to have a concept of sexuality. Until they go through puberty, that's, they, they are not supposed to have any understanding of sexuality at all. But if it is forced upon them or if it is introduced to them at a young age, that is when they will start to try and make sense of it. And especially because they are not really supposed to be sexual at that age, um, then it becomes cemented for them that that is the foundation for all sexuality. So trauma damage, let's talk emotional stuff. So the trauma damaged brain scan, so this is from emotional trauma, but it affects the brain. So where we talked about the brain chemical process, now this is the brain trauma process that is evoked by emotional trauma. So the damaged brain scan from emotional trauma is like an addiction damaged brain. The level of trauma depends on the level of shock of the video or image, but the bottom line is, guys, actual PTSD occurs. So when a child is first exposed to a sexual image that they cannot make sense of, then that actual moment becomes the moment of trauma. So the PTSD response then sort of elicits this whole series of things. And some of you may have unhappily had the experience of a traumatic experience where um, you understand what this PTSD response looks like. But it's flashbacks, it's obsession, it's depression, anxiety, hypervigilance, loss of interest in normal things, a lot of isolation because kids instinctively feel shame when they see an image that they cannot um, sort of make it work within their framework for life. You know, so if they have something that they experience that they can't make sense of with regard to the tools that they have, they automatically feel shame because for kids, particularly below the age of 10, they see everything as, as all, all about that. It's egocentric. You know, a child will, so if, if maybe you've experienced this as a parent, you have to leave and go to a meeting. The child throws a tantrum and says, you know, why don't you love me? So for them, they may or may not actually be experiencing that escalated of a level of a lack of connection with you. But for them, it really is like what you're, what you're doing is directly because of me. So then when they experience, oh, I, I, have, I have this experience that I really can't um, integrate into my existence, then they blame themselves. That's what actually ends up happening. So that's where the shame and isolation come in. If it is left untreated, here's the thing, it's catastrophic addiction because of the nature. So a child who is exposed early to a substance such as alcohol is not necessarily going to become addicted just from that experience or from one or two other experiences. For, for children who are exposed to some type of internet possibility of addiction, because the internet is designed to keep us coming back, to keep us wanting more, this type of exposure to pornography 
in almost inevitably, if they get multiple exposures to it, will lead to addiction. Um, if depending on how young this happens, depending on how many tools they have, depending on how much secure attachment they have in their uh, family of origin or the people around them, this can lead to suicidality, violence to self and others, and et cetera. It's very intense. So porn kills relationship. This is another thing that has to do with the emotional trauma and the basis for sexuality that is inappropriate based on porn that children might get when they're uh, exposed to it. So 90% of the top visited porn sites are based on violent sexual acts against women. We're not talking consensual sexuality. We are talking what, you know, one-sided and it is extreme and it's violent. And the problem with pornography is that um, when a person can, is habitually using, they, in order to achieve the same type of uh, brain chemicals that make them feel good, uh, the, the shock of it has to be more and more. So because of that, the pornography sites and the people who produce them know this and make it more and more shocking to, to trap someone into the images and to lure them back. So if a child happens upon this, you could imagine. They have a, children automatically normalize what they see. So they incorporate it into their worldview somehow, whether it means I saw this, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what it was. I, that means I'm bad, I don't get this, I don't understand, or I know that's wrong, but I keep wanting to go back to it. Um, they're going to integrate it into whatever their worldview is and think of it as normal. So an exposed child, will see something shocking. And in order to make sense of it in their world, they will likely go and try out what they saw on a sibling or a friend. We hear a lot about children who uh, molest other children because of something they saw online accidentally, or perhaps they got exposed on purpose out of curiosity. So porn promotes sexuality without emotional intimacy. It encourages, I mean, obviously, right? It's, it's people on a screen. There's no connection between the viewer and the person who is acting out the pornographic scene or image on the screen. Um, so it encourages intimacy anorexia, which is crippling for future relationships, which it just basically means that they're unable to make an intimate uh, emotional secure attachment to other people. Um, it leads to narcissism because it is, it is a one way that image is there for the pleasure of the person watching. It is not a mutual relationship. So it encourages narcissism. It also encourages the dehumanization of others in order to use them for one's own pleasure. If our children are exposed to this and they will be, by the way, then we'll, we'll talk more about this in a little while, but it is inevitable that our children will be exposed because of our digital world, will be exposed to some sort of a pornographic picture, usually pretty young. And um, we'll talk about what to do at each age, so don't get overwhelmed by that. But it teaches them that people are there for me to use. So if they use porn habitually, they're exposed to it once, they go back to it, somehow they have access, then they're going to look at that as I can use other people. So with these things at work, you can imagine what is stacked up against our kids when they are supposed to be at the ages of, you know, two through 16, they're supposed to be developing the parts of their brain that give them the capacity for real emotional attachment with other humans on a platonic level, you know, eventually on a romantic level. So real relationship isn't possible based on intimacy, anorexia, narcissism, dehumanization, using other people. So I know that's a lot. So just take a second. <sighs> It's gonna be okay. And the reason it's gonna be okay, guys, is because you are here, you are listening to this message, you are at this conference this weekend, you are the ones who are going to be the trailblazers. We are the ones who actually wanna be 
proactive with our kids. It's a scary world. And to admit that our kids might need help is really a scary thing. But here, I'm going to help arm you for what's ahead, okay? So preparing our kids for the world we live in. Okay, so what are we going to do? We're going to unplug every appliance and we're going to go underground, right? That's what my first response is. But since we actually have a world where in school they have e-learning days, which means they have iPads. And on some days when their parent-teacher conferences, the kids are literally online for all their learning that day. So, you know, there are all kinds of other ways that kids use, uh, even if your child doesn't, isn't in a school that does it that way. There are all kinds of ways. If they ever have a smartphone, if they ever have access to a friend's internet process. So we can't keep them cloistered up as much as I want to hermetically seal all the children um, that wouldn't be good for them either obviously so here we go so the age of exposure is getting younger um, the average age of exposure is around seven years old um, there are different studies that are happening now that are giving us other you know six eight years old whatever but around seven or eight years old is when children first on average see the first pornographic image um, one, this is a bizarre series of facts, but I want you guys to be well aware of this. So one in 10 hits on a porn website, uh, on, on porn websites in general, is a child under 10 years old. They actually did a study on this and they can tell based on, I don't know, IP addresses. I'm not exactly sure how this study does this, but um, basically they were able to figure out that one in 10 hits on pornographic websites is a child under 10. So Pornhub.com is just one of the top hardcore porn websites. Please don't go there. It's it's horrifying. Nobody wants that. <laughs> um, and, it, and it's just a, a bad road. But according to their own statistics, they get over a thousand hits per second. So let's just say that one in 10 hits on this website is a child under 10. That means that on average, 6,000 children have been exposed to porn in the last minute of me talking. In the last 60 seconds, the last one minute. Okay, so it is an epidemic. It is actually up and rising on the world sort of health uh, sphere, the understanding of people that this is like actually a health problem that our society is beginning to have. Okay, so let's start and go through the ages. Okay, so we're going to talk from youngest to oldest of the ones that are probably in your house. We've got ages zero to six. Okay, so people look at me like I'm crazy when I talk when I say talk to your two year old talk to your three year old, you know about bad pictures because people are like what am I going to do I'm going to go and tell them about sexual things online that are terrible no you're not going to do that so here is the way that you can frame this to keep your six and under safe okay so as soon as they're able to talk. I want you guys to look at these books. If you don't already have one of these books, please get yourself one. My favorite one is Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Although the No Trespassing, This Is My Body is great. Not For Kids is great. But Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, specifically about pornography. No Trespassing, This Is My Body is basically about body safety, which is you need to start talking to your child. If you have a child that's even like eight months old, 10 months old, 12 months old, start talking to them around the time that they're starting to understand you know, this, this, it's safe to be in the bath while, while mommy's watching you, but you know, we don't take baths with other strangers. So especially as they start to ask questions and as they start to understand the concept of privacy around three, four years old, this is ideal to start talking to them about good pictures and bad pictures and keeping their bodies safe. So I highly, highly recommend these books. That's a great uh, first opener to really start the conversation young. Okay. 
all right, so our kids aren't always at home, <laughs> right? They're at friends' houses, they're at school, they're in other places. So while they're at home, and this is true for all ages, guys. So while they're at home, definitely parental controls. There is, there is no child that is too young to accidentally navigate away from the screen that you've got them watching, okay? So I want, I want you to understand the importance of parental controls where only you have the password and screen time limits. So you've got a four, five, six-year-old, you've got a preschooler, or a kindergartner. There need to be specific limits in place for how much they're watching per day so that their brain doesn't get conditioned to have that instant gratification all the time. It will, that will prime them for uh, being exposed to pornography and wanting more. So parental controls, screen time limits. Don't allow them as, as hard as it is, even especially when they're five, six years old and they can really communicate with you, don't allow them to have unsupervised, entirely unsupervised screen time. Now I'm not talking you have to watch all their Daniel Tiger and you know Reading Rainbow right next to them. Uh, although it's not a bad idea, by the way, because then you understand what they're learning about. Um, and, and those are two great shows for understanding emotions along with Mr. Rogers and some of the others. So those are the, the shows that I always recommend for this age group so that they can start to develop what do we do with big uncomfortable feelings? Because by the way, underlying every addiction to pornography is a lack of ability to withstand hardship because not a, because the person is not able to process difficult, big, uncomfortable feelings. It is easier to medicate in this case with pornography, in some cases with substances, in some cases with, you know, uh, oh, whatever. I mean, it turns into workaholism. It turns into, you know, over-exercising. Uh, it turns into eating disorders. We have to equip our children. I'm going to talk about this again in just a minute, but we have to equip our children to deal with big, uncomfortable feelings. I never call feelings negative, okay? Because that gives a child who is prone to think that it's negative because they're bad, that gives them a reason to feel shame around big emotions. So I don't care if they're throwing a tantrum. I don't want shame to enter into it because if it does, then that causes them to disconnect from the relationship. Okay. And we have to stay connected. That's the only way that we're all going to make it through this. Um, by the way, guys, don't trust YouTube kids. I mean, I, and don't trust YouTube in general. It's, it's okay with, you know, in my way of thinking, if you watch a, you know, my, um, you know, my son loves to watch uh, cats that get scared by cucumbers. So we'll turn on a little video and we'll watch for two minutes. But but the bottom line is that those are not safe avenues because of advertising, because YouTube does not, they, they self-admittedly do not police the content unless someone complains. And I, by the way, I have a close friend whose four-year-old was watching a YouTube video and it was like a very close knockoff of a popular cartoon. And the mom wasn't, she's a good mom. She doesn't let the kids just run wild with the screen. And the and in the middle of this little kid's cartoon, this frightening image of just like, it wasn't a sexual image, thank God, but it was an image of crawling bugs and like just different, like a horror scene around like a person's head or whatever. And her child was legit traumatized. So you have to be really careful with what avenues you trust. So when your kids are not in your house, it's harder to protect them, right? So here are some ways that you could protect your child while they're at someone else's house. If they go on a play date, you can ask, literally just take these questions right off the slide here. Take a, take a little snapshot. What kind of screen time do you allow for the kids? What are the guidelines you use? Because so you're, you're coming in as an, as an um, ally here. You're coming in next to that other parent and you're saying, you know, you're giving them the benefit of the doubt that they already have these good things in place and you're just 
simply asking what things they have in place. Okay, so you're not being like, well, you know, do you have do you have do you have this? Do you do that? Because then that could, that could set up something to where the other parent isn't then going to be friendly with the sharing of information if something should happen to go wrong. Um, so you you ask, what kind of screen time do you allow for the kids? Are they going to be watching any on the iPad or on TV? Will they be watching any shows? Um, what are the guidelines you use to protect them during that time? So you want to know, do they are they? You're asking about things like parental time or parental controls and screen time limits. Will they be supervised the whole time they are watching or playing? You know, and that's a very reasonable question. If the other person gets prickly, guys, chances are that's not a safe household for your child to go go through go to. And by the way, even though it can be one of the worst terrors of parenting to witness a child have experiencing the disappointment of not getting to be with a best friend or whatever from school, what you're withstanding and helping them manage that big difficult emotion is better than what you will have to withstand if you are helping them through an exposure to pornography, okay? So don't allow their negative response to you saying no to someone's house, dis, like dissuade you from saying no, okay? Um, when in doubt, say no. Your child's safety is the priority over any emotion that your child might exhibit. Okay, so moving on to the next age group, ages six to 11. So this might be scary if you've never approached this topic before, right? So this could be a really difficult thing. We're gonna get to teenagers in a second, which is super fun. So talk frequently about good pictures versus bad pictures. There's a next level book um, that Kristen Jensen and Gail Pointer have written, which is just called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. The previous one is, um, let's see, is Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Well, this one is, oh, this one has a, there's, there it is. It's the little heading underneath the subheading, Porn Proofing Today's Young Kids. The first book, by the way, does not talk about pornography. It just says, have you ever seen a bad picture? Bad pictures are pictures that show the parts of someone's body that should be covered by a bathing suit. So it talks about privacy with regard to the body parts that should be covered by a bathing suit. That's the, that's the ages zero to six book, okay? This one actually gives, gives it a name. It talks about it as pornography. And it talks about it in a way that is appropriate for ages six to 11. It is not going to be explicit. It is very appropriate for for you to read through this book with your child at night. Each book in this series gives uh, a concrete way that the child should respond when exposed, okay? So we're not gonna put our heads in the sand and pretend like our child is never gonna get, get exposed to pornography. We're going to arm them and say, if you ever see an image that makes you feel confused, afraid, embarrassed, or sad, then you turn, you run, and you tell. So that's kind of what they start in the younger book, and then they expound on it in the expand on it in the in the older book. Okay, so that is another great book. So go through scripts for different scenarios. What if you did see a bad picture? What would you do? And then you talk about well, what if you were at a friend's house? Um, what if a friend of yours shows you something on their phone? You know, so if you've got a ten or eleven year old, the kids are uh, you know a lot of them have smartphones by that age. They might have friends who don't have filters on their phones, don't have parental controls. So you might just challenge them. Hey, what if somebody at school? pulled you aside and showed you an inappropriate picture. And I, I'm gonna, a little self-disclosure here. I am from the generation where right in the, at the end of middle school, beginning of high school, the internet came into people's homes for the first time as a regular occurrence. And so my first exposure to pornography was almost immediately right after that. 
um, because we didn't know anything about internet safety in the first year or two that it was around. I was at a friend's house, good kid on a team with her. We traveled together with their family, all kinds of things. And, and she got an email to her by her cousin who was maybe not quite as um, <laughs> uh, motivated <laughs> to get straight A's as the rest of us were. And um, her cousin sent this picture to her and it was highly inappropriate. And that my friend was too embarrassed to tell her parents, but she showed it to me. So that's how it happens, guys. It's really, it's really um, fast and it's, you know, catches you off guard and it's good kids that are not knowing what to do with it. So your kid, child could be exposed that way. So then you ask them, what would you do if you're at a friend's house? What, how do you, um, how would you approach that? So then um, encourage them to follow that protocol from the book. So keep talking about it, you know, introduce it, talk about it regularly, have that be a part of your family conversation so that when they're exposed, it's, it's already something that they know how to deal with and they will come talk to you. Um, talk to them about poison. So, at, at, you know, even in the younger ages, they understand a concept of what poison is. Um, and you could talk about how it's poison at this age, six to 11, talk about how it's poison to their brain. It's poison to their relationships. It's poison to their sports and extracurricular activities. Tell them about the, the lack of brain function. Their brain will actually be damaged if they see those bad pictures on a regular basis. Now, some kids will get really frightened about this and say, well, what if I've seen one once? Is my brain damaged? And you say, no, no, you know, it's just if you keep going back to it that the, that the poison happens. So you want to talk to an adult. And if you're tempted to look at it again, that's when you ask for help. So encourage it to be a conversation, okay? So same kind of setup here. Uh, keep them safe at home, parental controls, time limits on the screen, no private screen time, no screen time at night. We'll get into this in a little more detail. When they're at friends' houses, use the same screening process for the parents with the internet guidelines and supervision. I would strongly suggest that you consider no overnights unless a trusted adult will be supervising even in the late night hours. So that means that, you know, if I have a best friend and she wants, you know, my son to come over and spend the night with her son, that means that a parent is checking in on the kids to make sure everyone is asleep. There are no screens on between, you know, 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. Um, so somebody is checking regularly, getting up in the night to make sure everyone is still asleep, everyone is still, nobody's doing anything shady because those, those vulnerable hours in the middle of the night are often when children get exposed. Okay, so another thing that's really important is that, I, I, you know, at this age, they're really into the, on, the interactive games online, games online in general, but the interactive ones, are absolutely a no-go. Now, I mean, people are doing things like Fortnite, all the different types of games. And this one, musical, I never know how to say this, musically, um, music.ly, musical.ly, I don't know how to say it, but the bottom line is um, I had a horrifying article that I read about um, this karaoke app. It's a really cute little app. I mean, it's really, I mean, you just record yourself singing and you can put it out there, your friends like it, comment on it, whatever. But there was a girl who was 11 and her mom said, no, you can't, um, you, you can't be on this app. And uh, the girl's like, but you know, all the other kids do. The other moms think it's safe. They think it's okay. Um, and so the mom was like, okay, fine. So I'll help you create an account on here. We'll mark it to private. You can't be contacted by anyone outside. No one else could see your videos. So that's what they did. Guys, I'm telling you, within a half an hour of logging on, the um, images that came, not images, but the requests that came in 
private message to her requesting pictures of her genitalia in, in exchange for pictures with Justin Bieber. So like being able to meet him in person or getting a message from him on this app. So within the first 30 minutes, the mom was like inundated. It was coming into her notifications. And thankfully the daughter didn't, wasn't really exposed to it, but the mom just shut it down and said, absolutely not. So even if you have the account set to private, if there's a messaging system, if there's anything like that, plus if a, if a child gets to know the, the game well enough, they can turn off those, those controls unless there's a password involved. So just keep in mind, no interactive games at this age at all. No sole possession of smartphones or devices until age 13 or 14. So this, is, this means they're gonna be almost in high school before it's recommended that they have a smartphone, okay? That is because they will not have the toolbox. They will not have the skills to really deal with the inundation of information that they're going to be getting at all of these younger ages. Okay, moving on to the teens. The smaller the screen, the more danger there is. At this age, they likely have a phone with the possession of smartphones and devices. Here is what is recommended. Gail Dines recommends this also, and she has, again, this, I'll have her resource at the end. Go to her website. She has curriculum for you to walk through with your teenager. She has um, all kinds of information that will help them understand why sexting is not acceptable, why what the type of poison that it puts into your brain to look at pornography or to be in chat rooms that are that are um, you know sexually oriented or whatever. So the she has a great way to kind of walk through with your child so they get the information as you go so they can be educated. Okay, so definitely they need a contract. If your child has a smartphone and you don't have a contract, it needs to be in place tonight. So here is the conditions of you having your phone. They are gonna throw a fit. If they don't already have, they, you don't already have their, um, that, that they promised that they would stay away from this material, or if you don't already have parental controls, if you already don't have um, the software, the porn blocking software on their devices, all of that needs to be in place as soon as you could possibly do it. And they're probably not going to be happy because at this age, they're used to having their freedom if they've had it up until now. Um, check their devices every day. So everybody turns in devices at the end of the day. That's a great way to do it, to stay appraised of what their activity looks like. You want to look at their browser history. So take this seriously, even if you have really good kids. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, I was a good kid. My friend was a good kid. I never went back and looked at it, but I had been exposed and it wasn't something that my parents knew about or any of us knew how to talk about. Okay, so getting to some of the facts. This is tricky, guys. There is a 1 in 14 chance of a child of any age, much less high schoolers who are using online research a lot, to type in a misspelled URL and stumble upon a porn site by accident, okay? This is without them looking for it. But if you add in puberty and you add in friends in school and public or private, by the way, all girls school, all boys, boys school, it doesn't really seem to matter. They're all stumbling onto this stuff. If you've never discussed porn, define bad pictures, okay? Just call it, just take them out to coffee or make, make tea at home, something, sit with them, spend some time, look in their eyeballs and say, I wanna talk to you about something that we've never talked about before. And I hope it doesn't feel awkward to you because it doesn't feel awkward to me. I wanna talk to you about bad pictures that include pictures of people's body parts that are supposed to be covered by a bathing suit that are supposed to be kept private. Um, and then at, at, in, the, in the two younger kids books, by the way, they give you a chance to ask your child in the middle of the book, have you ever seen a bad picture? We need to be able to utter those words without in, like invoking any shame for the child and to just simply get the information, okay? Ask regularly if they've seen, I mean, I mean, weekly guys, or if not more often, ask regularly if they've seen any images that left them feeling scared, sad, or upset in any way or, or embarrassed. Okay, that is a great way to have to open the conversation. 
this needs to be a shame-free zone. And I talk about this all the time in my parenting stuff because there, there is a culture of shame around parenting in general. You probably can relate to this from your own upbringing. To shame a child into good behavior, if it results in good behavior, we see that as a success. But if we shame children into good behavior, that means we're creating a child that does not believe they have intrinsic worth. Therefore, they will only make decisions based on what they think will get them points with other people. They will choose maybe to do pornography. They will choose maybe to drink, maybe to go places. They will turn into pleasers. Okay, so we want to create a shame-free environment for our kids. So when they say, I saw a bad picture and they explain it to you, and maybe it was, I mean, like my son was horrified at one of the Halloween signs that was on the highway this last Halloween. And um, so he came to me and he said, I saw this, this scary thing and it made me feel scared. And I think it was a bad picture, but it didn't have body parts. So he was talking to me about it. And then we figured out it was, it was for this haunted house. It was an uh, you know, uh, advertisement for a haunted house, but he felt comfortable to come talk to me about that. So get, make it so that your child knows that they need to come and talk to you about something that leaves them frightened or ashamed. So if they say they've seen a bad picture, the first thing you say, you don't ask questions or anything. You validate them. You come into their space and you just say, I am so glad you told me I would like to help. And I'm completely here for you. Okay, so that is going to open up a doorway for you to be able to set the proper boundaries that need to happen in order to keep them safe in the future. Help them come up with scripts for peer pressure. Help them with their flashbacks and trauma responses. Practice stop the thought and replace it. Help them work through. You can say to them that they need to um, picture a stop sign. When that image keeps popping up, picture a stop sign and take three deep breaths because that resets the survival brain, which is in, which is in motion in those moments for them. Um, talk to them about, you know, if you're really out of touch with your child's smartphone, no shame, okay? Just start where you are. What kinds of activities do you do online? Do you ever chat with anyone you've never met in person, et cetera, et cetera? Like really work on a non-shaming tone. Just invite the information, okay? And then take a look at their devices. They need to be handing them in every night. So section three, um, so attachment is if there's nothing else that you guys take away from this talk, I want you to really hear this piece right here, okay? Let's take a moment. <laughs> We've gotten a lot of information. I'm trying to pack it all into my time slot here. So just take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. I want you to hear something. The antidote for something that causes severe isolation and narcissism. The antidote is attachment. What's attachment? Essentially, attachment is protection and comfort, okay? When protection or comfort are broken off periodically, and it will happen, <laughs> if you are in a parenting relationship with a child, relationship will be broken sometimes. <laughs> Bringing back the protection and comfort is the most important thing. Not changing their behavior, not having them act right, not having the results you're looking for. But bringing back that connection is the most important thing. So isolation, depression, anxiety, if, you're, if your child is dealing with any of this stuff, whether it's because of pornography or anything else, the message that they need, the thing that will break the cycle is, I want you and there's nothing that will stop me from pursuing you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. There's nothing you could do to make me love you any more or any less. Nothing that you do makes you bad. Nothing that you do makes you bad. 
I don't care what choices you make. I don't care what actions you have. Nothing that you do makes you bad or less worthy of love. A lot of us didn't get that message growing up, right? So it's hard to pass that on to our kids when we're on our last nerve or when we're just appalled because we just found out about their pornography use. So giving that message to them is the most empowering thing that we could do to take control of the situation. Shame-free, pursuit of relationship, regardless of flaws or choices, safety, soothing. Porn and overuse of the internet, gaming addiction, all of that stuff equals isolation. Any kind of addiction equals isolation, okay? Because it's from the shame core that they continue to perpetuate these behaviors. Attachment to safe people equals connection. The joy center in the brain is linked to the eyeballs. And if we spend time looking into the eyes of someone who is glad to be with us, not only does it counteract the effects of isolation or isolated behaviors, something that's causing it, but it grows the gray matter in the joy center of the brain, which enables us to connect with people, have a higher capacity for hardship and overcome the compulsion to medicate. So attachment is where it's at. All right, I know I'm getting close on time, so I'm gonna try and get through the rest of these slides here. So here are some signs that a child may be watching porn. They have, you know, they have unrestricted access to the internet. If that's the case and they're in their teens, especially, that's probably a done deal, guys. So you're probably looking at damage control at this point, which you totally have the tools to do based on this talk. And I'm gonna give you my information at the end of the talk uh, that you could ask for some reinforcements if you needed it from me. If they talk about seeing movies, playing games or other entertainment that have sexual content, even just a rated R movie that they've seen if they're 12, 13 years old, um, a sudden change in their mood, they seem sad, depressed, or worried, change in normal behavior, oversleeping, exhaustion, changes in eating behavior. Are you getting the message? If there's a sudden change that does not look like it's for the better, that's, that's maybe a clue. Showing less interest in the stuff that they normally do, isolation, privacy, suggesting or engaging in sexual behavior at too young of an age. What to do if a child may be watching pornography? Children who have been exposed to pornography often start acting out in a variety of ways. This could include physical outbursts such as hitting or punching or sudden use of vulgar and demeaning language, especially towards the opposite gender. In a shame-free way, point out what you've noticed. So I've noticed that I heard you use this word, not I saw that you did this. It's I've observed that I heard this or that I saw this. Use your own observation as a way to talk to them about what happened. Ask them how they're doing, explain why you are concerned and why that particular behavior, the language or the outburst was inappropriate. Don't be afraid to ask if they've had any experiences recently, online or offline, that have left them upset or confused. Most often guys, our kids act out in unpleasant ways because they do not have the tools that it takes to deal with something that has recently happened to them. Our job, we owe it to them, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to our legacy to be able to pinpoint when that's happening, not blame it on the child, and then to go back to what happened before. Now, if you've got a child that is in full-blown ODD, you know, uh, oppositional defiant disorder, or, you know, they're, they've got borderline or whatever is going on, and it's a real diagnosis, then you start with the trauma therapy, you start with the medication, things like that, okay? But when you've got a child who all of a sudden is doing these other behaviors, don't just jump down, like, pin them down, go back. What happened that caused you? What, what, even if they don't know what happened directly 
related to that, that caused it, walk it through with them. What happened that day? What Can you walk me through some of the things that might've been upsetting that day? This is another sad statistic, but um, Gail Dines is right on the money. Uh, parents parents under Evans estimate by 90% the amount of porn that their kids see, and they usually imagine it is the kind of porn from 15 years ago. If you see one image on a child's device, don't assume they were just experimenting. I just tried it once. If they got caught, that means they've probably hidden a lot of it from you. It can be very sad and very humbling to know that that has happened to your child. But keep in mind that if you can go get after the roots of this, if they're having trouble at school, if they're having, you know, if they're, if they are repeatedly having this behavior, you can get to it with attachment connection and a shame-free environment, along with all the other safety measures that we talked about. So don't be in denial. 91% of teens use mobile phones to go online. 92% of teens 13 to 17 do it daily. 89% of youth admit to receiving sexual solicitation in chat rooms. That's where it happens a lot. 20% of teens have sent or posted nude or semi-nude photographs or videos of themselves. And this is all rising. So um, let's see here. Young age of first exposure, a 2016 study of university students found that 93% of boys and 62% of girls had seen internet pornography during adolescence. So it reinforces this idea that adolescence is kind of what happens uh, when it happens, but their exposure to um, paraphilic and deviant, basically deviant sexual activity before the age of 18 was of particular concern. So um, then the pervasive use is also a problem. A nationally representative survey in 2016 found that 64% of young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography weekly, guys, 13 to 24 or more often. So none of their frontal lobes are developed. None of them are developed yet. A popular tubes, um, a popular tube site, I'm not sure, that might have been a typo from the uh, place that I got this from, uh, reports that in 2016, people watched 4.6 billion hours of pornography. On that site alone, 61% um, of visits occurred by a smartphone. So literally our kids are in danger once they get smartphones in their possession, okay? So we can make that, we can help it. You can install Covenant Eyes, Net Nanny, Disney Circle Home. All of those are great options. Research, there are like probably a dozen or to maybe 20, two dozen of them that are out there right now that are pretty highly rated. Just do your research, pick one that works for you, put it on all the devices for everyone and get put your email in there as the one that gets the weekly report from everybody's phone and, and iPad and <laughs> laptop and whatever else. Check the browser history regularly. Um, I keep saying this, but check. You need to know nothing your child has is private from your regular screening, okay? They're in your house. They're, you're in charge of them. They will say, I, I need my privacy. Well, to a certain extent, yes, keep your body you know, <laughs> behind a closed curtain uh, because that's your privacy. But guess what? You have devices. That's not private. So not also not even their journals or diaries, by the way. And if there are any kids in the audience, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but that's really the truth. In order to keep you safe, we get to raid your stuff when the intent is to keep you safe, um, but in a respectful way. Parental controls on all devices, including the phones. Put a tracking app on each child's phone as a condition for having one. Have that be in your contract so that we can find you in case you're in trouble. That's a legit reason. Also having them sign that contract to agree to all the ground rules for the use. And I've got a contract here that you guys can look at. 
Um, no internet or phone use after a certain hour. There is no reason that anyone needs to be doing homework or using a device after 9 p.m. There just isn't. If you don't have enough time to do homework, you need to stop the extracurricular activities that are taking up your time. And that's my stance. It's a hard stance. Not everyone feels that way, and that's okay. You have to figure out what works for you in your household. It could be 10, it could be 11, but it needs to be no devices are awake when the parents are sleeping, okay? Have a central location, preferably in the parents' bedroom where everything is charging and the parents can keep an eye out. I don't care if your kids are the best kids in the world. It Speaking as a straight A good kid, it really helped when my parents set the boundaries for me so that I didn't even have to make an excuse to my friends who wanted to know, whatever, can we get online? Can we read, um, I don't know, magazines or books that aren't appropriate? Or can we watch a video that's not appropriate? Sorry, it's my parents' rule. This is just what we do. So help your children out, set the boundary for them. No electronic devices in the bathroom, in private, ever. Everyone leaves their phone outside the bathroom, okay? That is one of the most common places that pornography is used. Here's an example of a smartphone pledge. Since we're at the end of our time, I don't wanna take a lot of time to go through this whole thing, but um, essentially I'll, I'll share with you the website where I just literally pulled this off of a website. There are other examples of these out there, but it absolutely should involve every kind of phone safety. So the first one is about driving, um, walking with your phone, texting. Don't be dangerous when you have your smartphone. Um, I will be considerate of others and not text or talk when it will disturb other people, including at school. I will not damage my phone. I will only use apps from legitimate app stores. Um, you know, I will use apps that share, with, share my location only with family or personal friends, nobody that I know from the online world. I will not let it interfere with sleep, schoolwork, etc. Okay, so if you have a child who has been exposed to pornography, set boundaries, number one, around how they were exposed to it. So if it was a friend's house, then set some boundaries, have a cop talk with the friend's parent. Even if your child is embarrassed, I don't care, it is worth it. Um, help them to focus on outside activities. So if they're constantly rerunning re the, the pornography that they were exposed to, help get, get some other interests. Take, I mean, you know, I don't know, I loved horseback riding, I still do. Uh, you know, go horseback riding, go hiking, go do something that kind of gets them back into nature, back into something physical rather than the mental world. If the behavior is habitual, get a porn addiction therapist involved. I cannot ex like express enough how important that is. Um, consider an EMDR and trauma therapist to address the actual brain trauma because you can undo some of that if you go to an EMDR therapist. Focusing on mindfulness, guided meditation, deep breathing, um, anything like that, yoga, emotional intimacy exercises with the family. So we are almost at the end, guys, and I just want to leave you with this really important feelings check-in protocol. So we do something in my household, and this is what I have all my clients do with their kids. It's called a feelings check-in. Essentially, this gives you a very specific way, and I'm going to make these slides available to you guys if you want to look over the presentation again um, and, and take all of this because you might not have time to write it all down. But each person chooses two emotions, and you can use just Google feelings chart online. You can find a feelings chart, and you can just pick off the sheet. You tell something that happened today or recently that made you feel that way. And then you tell the first time that you remember feeling that way. Now, if that's too advanced, you might have little kids. Maybe they don't track it that well. Just ask them, what's something that makes you feel this feeling? Or maybe they don't know the feeling. So you explain, you know, exuberant means. <laughs> and then you talk about when did you feel that way? So neither of these instances, you can't involve anybody else in the room, even for the happy emotions. So think of something that doesn't involve them. That's how you avoid fights. <laughs> so the bottom line is, guys, feelings, check-ins, attachment, emotional connection is what beats everything, including pornography. 
photography. So do all the logistical things that you can do to help your family and then lean in, lean into that connection, lean into shame-free living with your kids and they will be able to be prepared for every eventuality, even pornography exposure, okay? So if you want help with any of this, this is my passion. This is what I do. It's my job. It's everything I, I stand for. I would be, I would love to help you customize any of these ideas, the contract, whatever you like um, for you and your family, please feel free to email me. Um, so here are the resources. I'm just going to end and I'm going to leave this up at the end here. And you can go to any of these websites and look at um, a lot of the statistics I pulled from here. So uh, protectyoungminds.org, they have a great mailing list. Those are the people that wrote the big, uh, good pictures, bad pictures books. Um, Fight the New Drug is a great resource. Um, all of these are just nsexualexploitation.com. They're the ones that have a lot of really specific uh, statistics about how it's affecting kids. So thank you for sticking with me. I know it went a little long. Please take good care of yourselves. Take good care of your kids. And um, I, just good luck. We are, the, we are the forerunners and we are going to beat this thing.